Roger that, Houston. All systems five by five. But what if there is no tomorrow? There wasn't one today. Hello and welcome to another exciting episode of Nerdfest. We are still Hazelless, but I'm your temporary Hazel for the day. Oh. We have with us... Louise Taylor. Peter Johnson. Andy Chandler. And I'm John Farley. And in today's episode, we'll be trying to pull the wool over each other's eyes with a buffle bluff, and we'll be hearing about Andy's shameful gap. So let's get started. So Andy, when I said I'm your Hazel for the day, I'd like to put some strong barriers up around that statement, if you don't mind. Oh, please I'm sure do. he would as yes. well. <laughs> Just to clarify, I will host and I will have sex with you, but I will not cook for you. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. Pete's Just looking like... at me like that's a horribly <laughs> sexist thing to say. Dick. We both cook, but I think I do a bit more. He's only saying that because she's not here. Yeah, oh, that's true. We split the cooking fairly evenly. We don't have we? to because if we're in the kitchen at the same time, I threaten to kill you. <laughs> and we have we bought some very sharp new knives, and I'm a bit scared of upsetting her now. Yeah. Before we start, Steven Spielberg is possibly not doing Indiana Jones five. Well, he did Indiana Jones four, which doesn't what, exist. What? So we yeah, did three of them. The best. He did three, and then he made an imaginary film. Do we want to see Indiana Jones without Spielberg? James Mangold, who's going to direct yeah. it. Is this who directed Logan? Yes. Yeah. Yes, please. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm intrigued to see what will happen there. But, mm, intrigued is too strong a word. I don't want there to be another Indiana Jones film. It's completely unnecessary, even if they get new directors and producers and even a new star. It's not necessary at all. But mm-hmm. if they're going to do it, something to change is is good for me, I think. I don't know. I, I just sort of associate them so much as Spielberg films. Um, Logan's brilliant. But mm-hmm. other than that, I think, you know, it's... A, doesn't have a massive visual flair. So is is Ford going to be in this one? Yeah, it's still going to be Harrison Ford. Is it a handover movie? They say not. Oh, they haven't got Shia LaBeouf back again, have they? I wouldn't be less keen if that was happening. As things stand, he's not coming back. But presumably, Good. if we've got a new director, we may get a new script. We don't don't know. Mm, I do wonder now if he's going to change the tone of it. If because he's the guy who does the old man movies now. Then <laughs> if he yeah. did Logan, <laughs> yeah. And is that what he's going to do for Indiana? I'm not sure. I want to see that. I feel like I've already seen that in the most recent Star Wars movies. To be honest, Indiana Jones is a forties adventure serial brought to life, and I'm worried that if it has a new director and new screenwriters and stuff. It might just be a become more of a generic type action film. Which is the best Indiana Jones film that wasn't an Indiana Jones film? There have been a whole bunch of films that try for that sort of feel, like The Mummy, The Mummy was Alan Quatermain. Uh, yeah, I like the um, first Mummy. It's quickly down under. <laughs> so Romance in the Stone. Oh, that was great. Yeah. yeah. National Treasure. Oh. I've still not seen that. Don't. You get to see Nicolas Cage trying to order a glass of whiskey. I don't need to because you've performed that scene for me. <laughs> do it now, John. Do it now. Glass of whiskey, governor. There you go. This I went on a tangent. <laughs> I think the answer then is the mummy. Yeah, yes. I would agree. The, not the not the Tom Cruise one. The the Ooh. Brendan Fraser. Brendan yeah. Fraser again. I really like that film, and I really enjoy Brendan Fraser in it. And it disappoints me that he didn't go on to become um, a big action star and do yeah. lots of similar mm. things. I mean, he was going to be at one point. There was that and George of the Jungle and a few other things. Didn't he make a journey to the centre of the earth or something as well that he's the star in? 
But they, he'd already they'd already been on things like uh, him appearing in Scrubs and things like that. Yeah, yeah he was good in that. That was lead. a great episode of Scrubs. The second one where oh that was sad. Oh yeah, where he was dead. Yeah. Spoilers for the twenty-year-old TV series Scrubs. <laughs> Deader than Zach Braff's career. But it, it was odd because at the time you were like, yeah, he was great. How come we don't see more of him? So even mm. then you were thinking, what happened to Brendan Fraser? Mm. Didn't he make a couple of bad film choices as well? Didn't he make a semi-animated film that was a bit of a bomb? Monkey Bones. Yeah. yeah. But I enjoyed George of the Jungle was fun, the first one. I can't think of any more Indiana Jones-esque action films. Tomb Raider. Sahara fairly recently. I was going to say mm. Sahara, yeah. That, did, that didn't really... It wasn't particularly great, yeah. but... Yeah, I mean, obviously all the Tomb Raider video games mm-hmm. and then the movies have been heavily based on that. Yeah. So... We're still interested, but not as interested. I'd be interested to hear the casting and what that implies mm. about the characters and where the storyline's going. And how it copes with the sort of old Ford well. Yeah. I wonder if they'll bring um, Karen Allen back again as well. Well, they're married now, aren't they? No, it didn't happen. didn't happen. <laughs> John won't know about that. No, it never happened. I had to bang my head against the wall for two hours to make every memory of that. I, I didn't mind, Crystal. Oh, get out. You're wrong. I must admit, give, I have occasionally thought, do I have to watch this again to see whether it deserves all the hate and vitriol? I'm not sure. I don't think it does. I thought it was just a bit meh, was yeah. I, I think, what I recall. Yeah, mm. and it was clearly, it clearly had an agenda to try and make you love Shia LaBeouf's character. You were never going to, because he was a pain in the arse. Because it was Shia LaBeouf. Because he was just annoying, and... You can't have, I don't think you can have Indiana Jones in a film and not just want to know about Indiana Jones and watch him. Did we point out that at time of recording, James Mangold isn't confirmed to be yes. directing Indiana Jones? Oh, is it still just, just rumours? He's, he, he's, he's in talks, I think I've heard. Maybe they let it be known to see how people react. Yeah. With horror. Yeah, James, if you're listening, mate, <laughs> just tell Steve to push another one out and then we can all go home happy. You could do part six with Chris Pratt in 10 years when nobody cares. It did seem at one point Chris Pratt was just basically inheriting Harrison Ford's career, did it not? It, did, it mm-hmm. didn't quite happen, but it just seemed like he was the natural fit into all these sort of sub-Ford roles. Yeah, he was a bit borderline for that. And then he... What did he do? You, Jurassic I, World being Jurassic one World. of the most obvious yeah. My Harrison nephew Ford-y loves him. His favourite Lego man is Chris Pratt. And they just call him Chris Pratt rather than the character's name because no one can remember the character's name Ezekiel that is not his name Ezekiel Thomas oh, no God. no I've got no idea <laughs> <laughs> it could have been it's something equally stupid but yeah well you almost buffed or bluffed us there we, we nearly fell for the character being called Ezekiel Thomas so this seems as good a point as any to move on to our buffs or bluffs painful segue Okay, we have some film buffs or film bluffs. This is our regular feature in which each of us will present three facts on a topic, two of which are real, one of which is absolute bullshit, and the rest of us will try and figure out which is which. So um, I'm going to go to Peter first because he's the only one not desperate to play with his phone trying to remember what they've done. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Yeah, mine are about the film composer Hans Zimmer. If only because I thought there's no way anyone else is mm. either going to know or choose the same thing as the subject. I know what one of them's going to be. Do you? Yes. It isn't. Because <laughs> I know what you think you know. Yeah. Oh, these mind games are just ridiculous. <laughs> I'll ask you at the end, Val. Yeah, I'm okay. sure I'm right. Okay. So he's famous for the scores to Rain Man, Driving Miss Daisy, The Lion King, Pirates of the Caribbean, 
Interstellar, Gladiator, Inception, Dark Knight, and lots of films that uh, Christopher Nolan didn't make. So, the three facts for him are... He worked with Buggles, and could be seen in the video for Video Killed the Radio Star. That he co-produced a single called History of the World Part 1 for UK punk band The Damned. And that he wrote the theme tune for a German children's TV show called Ray's Toy Hospital. It, none of those were the ones that I was going to go for. I know they aren't, yeah. because you were going to go for Going for Gold, was, weren't you? Yes, <laughs> he wrote the theme tune to Going for Gold. Okay, so we've got Ray's Toy Shop. Toy Hospital, wasn't it? Toy Krankenhaus. Uh, toy Hospital. Oh. Yeah, that's got to be a bluff, because if it was German, it wouldn't be called Ray's Toy Hospital. That's It'd the be, English translation like of the name. Lay- What's the German name, Peter? Uh, I don't know. I just know the translation. Because it's made Because he made it up. Yeah. Mm. Now, if I was going to make it would up, have I would have down. gone on Google Translate and translated that, and you know that. But then you know we know you would do that, so did you not do it to throw us off? <laughs> <laughs> now, the Buggles. What is the Buggles? Uh, video Kill the Radio Star. It's a Trevor Horn, Jeff good, Downs. Yeah. Uh, oh. A popular beat combo of the 80s. <laughs> I was wondering whether you kind of substituted him for Trevor Horn in your bluff there. So obviously, Trevor Horn famously was involved with them. Well, basically, well, was basically them. was them. Yeah, yeah. Um, the two of them. Yeah, I, I, but I I know Hans Zimmer was around that time. Um, I think the Damned might be a bit too early for him, and I can think of the. Did you say the Damned? Didn't you for the second one? I did say yeah. the Damned. I didn't say when the single was. When was the single, Peter? I actually don't know. Yeah, I mean, actually, <laughs> yeah, the, I yeah. I mean, I'm assuming the damned at their pump, but not necessarily. I think 90s. I can see him working with the Buggles, and I can see him doing theme tunes, because I know he's done several theme tunes, but his musical styling, I can't see fitting in with the damned, so I'm going to say that's the bluff. Okay. I've got absolutely no idea whatsoever. I was close to saying, why would Hans Zimmer be involved in a German kids show? And then I realised his name was Hans and he's probably German. <laughs> so I'm going to assume that's true on that basis. And um, I like the word buggles. So I'm going to say that the bluff is buggles. I don't really know. I think you would have had the German name of the TV show. So I'm going to say that the toy hospital is the bluff. Okay. Um, he did work with buggles and can be seen on the video playing keyboards. He did co-produce a single called History of the World Part 1 for UK <gasps> punk band The Damned. Um, he didn't write the theme tune for the Children's Hospital. Yay! <laughs> He's not even German. Uh, I had a little story about they were going to be repairing broken toys and taking them back to their owners and things like that. Oh, that could give you a you bit of backstory. You should have added that. Mm-hmm. It would have been well. more convincing. But not having the German <laughs> name is what sank you. Because if you'd looked up that fact, then the name would have been written in German and not in English. And uh, maybe. Okay. Yeah, definitely. Uh, in the That's 80- how I knew. In the 80s, he did write the theme tune for BBC TV quiz show Going for Gold. And a quote at the time was, it was a lot of fun. It was the sort of stuff you do when you don't have a career yet. God, Aww. I felt so lucky just because this thing paid my rent for the longest time. It did go on for a long time. Yeah. Popular lunchtime viewing in I mean, the Taylor household. We wouldn't be allowed on Going for Gold now, would we? Why? But not in, it was in all oh, different European countries. Yeah. It was. But yet the questions were always in English, so we had a massive unfair advantage. <laughs> yeah. That was appeared to be generous to foreigners, <laughs> and yet, in fact... Not. There's a metaphor for Brexit there somewhere, isn't there? Andy, what do you have for us? I'm going to describe for you three characters who have shown up in X-Men comic books. Two are real, and one has been made up by me. Okay. I'm hoping the two real ones are Wolverine and Cyclops, otherwise I'm a little bit screwed. <laughs> <laughs> 
Number one, Wolverine. Uh, <laughs> no, number one, Noggin, um, who is a wannabe X-Man who tried to join the team by demonstrating his amazing power of having a detachable head, which he would <laughs> wow. throw around as a projectile weapon. Cyclops rejected him and feeling spurned, he tried to join Magneto's Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. And after being rejected by Magneto, Noggin went on to have a successful career as a presumably very one-note stage magician. Mm. Number two, choir. Uh, a student in Xavier's school who had three extra mouths on her neck, <laughs> allowing her to simultaneously project multiple voices in multiple directions in an attempt to confuse and disorientate enemies. She was very fond of turtleneck sweaters. <laughs> Whether or not she went on to be a one-woman barbershop quartet is unclear. And number three, I scream, spelled E-Y-E hyphen scream. Um, a mutant who wished to destroy the X-Men because their fantastic powers made him feel stupid. He had the ability to transform into ice cream, any flavor of ice cream. He used this power to turn into a molten puddle of ice cream and ooze under the locked doors of the X-Mansion with the intention of killing the team by messing with the controls of the danger room. He was defeated by being frozen in a block of ice and was never heard from again. That's clearly a lie. So implausible. <laughs> mm. But there's a lot of detail there. Mm. Yeah, that's why it's clearly a lie. I think it's too, like, that's too stupid to not be real. Noggin mm. is pretty stupid. The, the woman with the three mouths on her neck, that was quite stupid. I, think, well. that, I, I, I think that's the bluff because it's not really that helpful. Yeah. It's quite, a, but it, it, it's a plausible mutation. I was thinking how that would look, but obviously, what you can do is having speech bubbles from each of the <laughs> different holes on her neck. Oh, that's quite fun visually. Mm. Did she have to like play a neck like a recorder to get different notes? No, she could uh, uh, just um, speak simultaneously from each one, so she could harmonise with herself if she needed to. Well, he's making that up as he goes. Did, that's did, did she eat in all of them? I found no evidence of her eating or drinking or doing anything else other than speaking with um, extra mm. mouths. And did you even find any evidence of that or did you make it up? <laughs> Cannot confirm. I'm going for that being a lie. I think the ice cream's a lie. The detachable yeah. head and the extra mouths sound like plausible mutations. The ice cream thing, not so much. Maybe the mother ate a lot of ice cream while she was pregnant. What, and a kid turned into ice cream? Yeah. That's not how it works. Like my mum took a load of alcohol and crack when she was pregnant. <laughs> and um, explains a lot. If it helps or doesn't help, my favourite part about ice cream is that his his name is it's spelled E Y E as yeah. eyes, and that has nothing to do with uh, anything. Mm. Yeah, that is very incongruous. It's really, really stupid. He's, he's, <sighs> he's convincing me off it with the detail now. Oh, mm. I'm going to go with noggin because that just seems a stupid name as well. I'm staying with ice cream. John, you were choir, were you? I was choir. Peter wins. Oh. I made up Noggin. Choir was real. Um, never much more than a background character. First appeared in 2001. Appeared in over a dozen issues of New X-Men. Um, Ice Cream, for some reason, was real. Uh, only ever appeared once uh, in 1983. Um, they made a thing about him being able to not just turn into ice cream, but be able to do different flavours. <laughs> and there was a bit where he's he's going on, he, he turns into a puddle and goes under a door. And uh, it makes a point of saying that he's turned into a banana split flavour ice cream, which isn't a flavour of ice cream, flavor. it's a presentation style. Ice cream is an item in a banana split. You exactly can't, oh, right. that's just ridiculous. It's absolutely stupid. But I hope he shows up in the MCU in future. Mm -hmm. uh, a, a few honourable mentions that I didn't, didn't use were Forearm, who had really long forearms. <laughs> 
Long Neck, who had a really long <laughs> neck, and Zorn, spelled with an X, of course, who had a star for a brain, as what? one does. He had a star for a brain. He also had a brother who had a black hole for a brain. No follow-up questions, please. <laughs> Those wow. first two, it sounded like they really weren't trying with the names, though. Correct. I think these are largely background characters. I get the feeling that, um, that oh. they just wanted it to look like a, a busy, bustling school with a bunch of weird, freaky people in the background and just, just half-arsed drew some slightly malformed people. And then they got names later. You know, um, after every Star Wars film, um, Dan gets himself a yeah. dictionary of, of superfluous oh, details. the Book of Justification. I think there was something similar to that. Um, I think Choir was, I'm, I'm misremembering now perhaps, but uh, Choir was only ever referred to in the comics by her real name, Irina and then it was revealed that her ex name um, is Choir in some uh, supplementary um, book that one could buy with a lot of silly information. I should just say for listeners that Andy appears unable to say the word ex name without actually putting his arms across his chest in a big X shape. <laughs> it's part of my struggle. It's who I am, Peter. I've got some buffs or bluffs about Donkey Kong, a oh. popular 80s game. Fact number one. The game is called Donkey Kong as a result of a mistranslation from the original Japanese where it was called Monkey Kong. Um, Monkey Kong got mistranslated into Donkey Kong. Number two. Universal Studios, who had recently released a King Kong movie, sued Nintendo over Donkey Kong, saying that the name Kong was copyrighted. They lost the claim because they themselves had previously been sued by RKO, who said they owned the rights to the name King Kong. And the same lawyer said, you can't copyright Kong, it's a public domain name. <laughs> and number three, Kong was originally a Popeye game that was reskinned at the last moment when they failed to get the rights to the Popeye character. So the gorilla was Bluto, the woman was Olive Oil, and Mario, or Jumpman, as he was known then, was Popeye. Mm-hmm. Okay, I have a good idea about two of them, so I'll keep my trap shut to start with. I thought the first one was just true and everyone knew it. Yeah, I've, I've heard that as well, so I'm quite sure like that one's Like common true. knowledge. That was said with disdain. Common knowledge. Yeah. Well, the third one I'm pretty sure is true, because I have heard oh. that before, that it was originally going to be a Popeye game. I can believe that all the proportions are right, I suppose. And the middle one is legal shenanigans, and John Farthing is a lawyer. <laughs> So if he was going to invent something, what would he invent? Legal shenanigans. It wasn't very filthy, though. Normally no. his inventions are... It was are... work, John. He's 40% less filthy at work, I believe. 22%. <laughs> now, at the time, there were sort of clone machines called Monkey Kong that you would see occasionally. But you would occasionally also see games that said Crazy Kong. And Japanese for crazy is Donkai. And I think Donkey Kong is a mistranslation of Crazy Kong from Japanese, and that's where the name comes from. So would that mean that number one is technically a bluff? Um, that or would mean you... number one it... is a bluff. Because it wasn't I monkey. think. Oh, now I'm confused. Oh, what was the exact wording of your number one, John? The game was called Donkey Kong because it was a mistranslation from the original Japanese game where it was called Monkey Kong. I'm sure I and heard they mistranslated that. monkey as, a, as donkey. Hmm. Oh, no, no. Is, has, he so sure. has he twisted what I thought was a commonly known piece of knowledge by tweaking a little detail or doing what we like to call a Peter? <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking Monkey Kong before I even started on um, number one. 
because it's one of the only things I know about Donkey Kong. And now you're questioning your entire existence. My entire worldview is crumbling. So let's move on to fact number two. Um, it, surely that's that's absolutely painfully ridiculous. Um, would would lawyers be so nonsensical as to lawyers argue the exact opposite as they had argued just a few years earlier? <laughs> as they in have case. been yeah. seen to do many times. Have, have you ever done that? Yes. If it depends who pays me the most. That's pretty much how the law works. Hmm. <laughs> Fair enough. They they're paid to believe lawyers. Mm-hmm. You see. They will believe anything for a price. I'm stuck. I think all three facts are in a state of being both true and false. We Schrodinger's have bluff. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> can, can that just be my answer? I think no. the Popeye one's a lie. You think the Popeye one is a lie? Because I think Popeye was at his height a lot earlier than when those games came out. Mm-hmm. That's my supposition anyway. I'm going to go for number two as the bluff. And I'm going number one for the bluff. Okay, well... Donkey Kong was originally a Popeye game. <sighs> Nintendo did get sued by Universal, who <laughs> lost because Universal had previously argued the exact opposite. Um, but uh, Donkey Kong's never called Monkey Kong. Uh, Peter is correct that it comes from, it was called Crazy Kong in Japan, which is Dunchai or something. Donkai. And the mistranslation was from Crazy Kong to Donkey Kong. Mm, well bluffed. Mm. Peter, we should have listened to you. <laughs> um, I often think that. A, an interesting epitaph to the um, story of Universal and Akio and Nintendo is several years later, Universal released a King Kong computer game and was successfully sued by <laughs> Nintendo for copyright infringement. Wow. Excellent. I think the Puckman being changed to Pac-Man story is true. The reason for it, Puckman becoming Pac-Man was that they were worried that people would scratch out the P so that it would read Fuckman on the cabinets. <laughs> they would have definitely done yeah. that. Louise, what do you have for us? I've got three facts about the Channel 4 sitcom Spaced, which recently had its 21st anniversary, which made me feel very old because I was obsessed with that programme when it was on TV. I've not watched it for quite a number of years now. Um, they had a celebration event at the BFI, I believe, where the, the cast and director Edgar Wright, now very successful in various films, um, had a bit of a sort of a nostalgia fest remembering all the highs and lows of the series. So I've got three cameos that were featured in the series of Spaced, and one of them wasn't. So here are the three cameos. Um, Billy Whitelaw as the dog pound worker who Daisy buys her pet dog Colin from for five pounds. Who's Billy Whitelaw? Um, she was a, an actress in the 60s. She had kind of a TV and film career then. Okay. Um, cameo number two is Alfie Allen as a skateboarding boy in one of Simon Pegg's traumatic childhood flashbacks. And number three, Mark Morris from the Blue Tones as a Robot Wars competitor. One of these was not true. Well, I, th- <laughs> I think the obscurity of the third one makes it likely. We've, we've met Mark Morris of the Blue Tones, and you never said, you were in that robot was. <laughs> Would have been a bit weird to say that to yeah. you. Met him, we went to a gig. We, we met went to him. a very small gig. There was about like true, people it was there. quite you intimate. Have, you know, he was talking one-to-one to the audience. You could have said... Mark, would you like to reenact that scene from Robot Wars for us? And you didn't. Alfie Allen 
I would imagine that would be a thing that was more well-known because of his career since. And he would have been very, very young, 21 years ago. I think it's possible. And doesn't she have a sort of stage schooly background of some sort? Yeah. So that's quite possible that he would have popped up on things. And obviously having your dad in the biz to some extent. Mm. Can't imagine his dad hanging out with Simon Pegg. I think at some point during Alfie Allen suddenly becoming a star on Game of Thrones, people who went, oh, do you remember that time he was in Spaced? Remember he was in that thing 21 years ago? Yeah, I think I, th- I think that would be a fact that would pop up on the internet or Twitters or somewhere. But I'm going to Billy White Law being true. Um, fucking Mark Morris from the Blue Tones wasn't in Robot Wars. That's nonsense. It's that, that's no, he was in Spaced as a Robot Wars competitor. Conte- it, really? No, he wasn't. It's a lie. I'm going to pick Alfie Allen, if only because I think the other two are weirdly obscure. (laughs) And he's less weirdly obscure at the moment, therefore, that's my choice. Once again, I've got no idea whatsoever. And I'm going to listen to Peter this time, so I'm going to go with Alfie Allen. Don't do that. I don't know what I'm talking (laughs) about. Too late now. (laughs) Okay, Mark Morris from the Blue Tones was in Spaced. Edgar Wright filmed a video for the Blue Tones. Oh, of course, and he did he, music videos. He was, <laughs> he was one of the um, suburban men who um, Tim and Mike built a robot and went to compete in an underground Robot Wars competition. And he was one of the crowd cheering them on. From what I rem- from what I remember, he was he was shirtless but wearing a tie. Okay, a bit weird. Um, Alfie Allen was in space, <gasps> and Keith Allen was also in space. I think he was Tim Bisley's dad in a flashback. They did like a remake of the scene from The Shining where Danny's getting chased by Jack Nicholson through the snow. And it's Keith Allen. And it's Keith Allen. I have no memory of this whatsoever. No, well, I think that flashback came up a few times. Mm-hmm. So Alfie Allen got a guest part in it or a bit part, background part because his dad was in it. Ah. Um, Billy Whitelaw did not play the dog pound worker, although she was in the Edgar Wright film Hot Fuzz. She was the landlady of the hotel where they stayed, I think. So that was mildly successful. <laughs> <laughs> I feel we learned something about space that there was a lack of cameos in it. There was a lot. I had to work down quite a long list to find the obscure ones because so lots of. I was going to do comedians because David Walliams and Ricky Gervais and mm, Bill Matt Lucas and Bill Bailey. They were all on my list to put in, but I went for more obscure ones because mm-hmm. I thought you would know all the other ones. To be honest, John, I thought you might have known Mark Morris. No, I'm surprised I didn't know that. It was, a very, it was a fleeting part, yeah. but on the commentary on the DVDs that I watched pieces, they did point him out. Blue Tones still talk. They're doing, the a, they're doing a nostalgia tour now, aren't they, with Sleeper? And it's like, it says, um, performing their debut album in full, plus a greatest hits set. And you're like, they had, That's going to be the same. <laughs> they had a second album. <laughs> <laughs> well, Matt Morris' solo stuff's quite good. I liked Return of the Mac. <laughs> <laughs> So it's time for our shameful gap. Mm. This is our regular feature where we find one of our nerds' shameful cinematic gaps and fill it with the joy of knowledge. And who has got a gap to be filled today? It's me. Mm. We thought you'd seen everything, Andy. What haven't you seen? Oh, there's so much I haven't seen. I only saw Casablanca for the first time about a month ago. But that's not what I'm here to talk about. I am here to seek forgiveness because until last night I had never seen Rocky. Shame. Shame. 
Tell us about it. How have you never seen Rocky? Um, well, I've I've always been a little bit of a, a martial arts geek, and um, I, I've always found that um, boxing films, or my idea of them, just consisted of people punching each other in the face repeatedly until you get bored of it. That that's life rather than a boxing film. My life is slightly nicer than that. Thanks, though. Um, I, I don't know. There's only so many times you can see someone get um, flattened by a gigantic haymaker and then get up and keep going again. Um, it takes me out of the uh, the fight a bit. Um, prefer kung fu stuff because at least it's more varied and, and in at least one sense like more realistic. I think. Um, did you ever see the raid? Yes. Um, I think it was a really good film, but some of the fight scenes go on far, far too long. They get a bit boring and repetitive, I find, but they also just completely unrealistic in that everyone would have no functioning bones left in their face. Mm -hmm. And so I was a little bit put off from watching Rocky because I just thought, I don't know much about boxing and boxing films are all just punch, 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 fall over, get up again. And I was very wrong. Um, It was uh, a good film. I liked it. I hope that's all the information you require. (laughs) (laughs) And that has been the nervous... (laughs) Oh, um, well, let's let's start let's from the beginning, shall we? Rocky is the story of Rocky Balboa, who is um, a poor, down-on-his-luck, small-time boxer who is gifted an opportunity to fight for the world heavyweight title against um, flashy Apollo Creed. And it's, it's the story of him taking control of his life to seize this opportunity and make the most of it. It's based actually on a sort of true story, isn't it? It's based on the story of Chuck Wepner. Who had a very similar thing where he, he got given a shot at fighting the champion, and he didn't win, but the mere fact that he actually gave a good fight made a big difference to his sort of status. And it was very much, you know, the plucky underdog story. Mm-hmm. He tried to sue Stallone a couple of years later for it being an unauthorized attempt to basically steal his life story, but he was unsuccessful. I think. Mm, I did not know that because his lawyers had previously argued in the case <laughs> that his life was uncopyrightable. Yeah, didn't know that. Thanks. It's also a love story, isn't it? I think so. How did you find that part of it? Um, mm, that was perhaps the biggest problem I had with the film. Generally, I liked it, but I, I think the way in which the love story uh, takes hold has not aged well. Adrian, who works in a pet store that Rocky frequently walks by and goes in and talks to the dogs as if they're all his friends, um, she's uh, very, very shy and, and, and awkward and... Initially, their interaction is quite sweet in, in that awkward way. Rocky's uh, obviously more outgoing than, than Adrian is and tries to bring her out of her shell. And it's, it's quite nice. And the point at which it got creepy for me was um, the end of the date they had on Thanksgiving. They walk back to Rocky's flat and he invites her in and she says no. And so he invites her in again and she says no and he invites her in again and she says no and she keeps on saying no, 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 no and he doesn't take no for an answer. And he doesn't do it in, in an overtly aggressive or, or, or forceful or, or creepy manner but the fact of the matter is if a woman says no then you should listen to her. Mm. And maybe back in 1976 people felt differently about it. Um, but she, she eventually comes in after about the sixth time of being asked to come in um, and she awkwardly stands with her coat and hat still on just inside the door and doesn't want to come sit down on the sofa and doesn't feel comfortable and says she doesn't feel comfortable. But Rocky just wants to proceed because he wants a relationship with her. The climax of the creepiness for me is when he goes to kiss her 
He's trying to be nice and understanding because his character is generally a, a kind-hearted soul. But he says something to the effect of, I'd like to kiss you. You don't have to kiss me, but I'm going to kiss you. And then he leans in with her stony-faced and, and not participating and, and slowly, I think maybe they're going for tenderly, kind of kisses her on the cheek and then moves around to her mouth. And then she starts to reciprocate. But yeah, I found it problematic. Um, and, and, and of course, the story goes that she did really want it and she did just need to be brought out of her shell and so on. But That's what they all say. <laughs> well, you, you can imagine countless um, young men and boys have, have watched that film and learned from it that that's how women are. If they say no, they don't really mean no. They just want you to be persistent and really show that you really care and, and they will come around to your way of thinking, don't listen to them. And that didn't work for me at all. Further to that, after they got together, Adrian's personality changes completely. She becomes much more confident, much more outgoing, much uh, louder. And it's not necessarily a bad thing, but the only thing is that it's the um, beginning of their relationship that is the catalyst for her change. And she was quiet before Rocky wanted to bring her out of her shell, forced her to do so effectively. And then, oh, he was right all along was, <laughs> was the, the result of that. So that made me very uncomfortable watching it in 2020. Um, what what does anyone else think about that? I haven't seen it recently enough to remember that being an issue, but she never seemed that into him. There's the odd glance she mm. gives that kind of that, that tells you that she is interested, but she's 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 hesitant. But she still doesn't get to say no. I'm not comfortable. Mm-hmm. I'm not coming in. It wouldn't fly today. No. Oh, the Rocky theme is called "Gonna Fly Now." Oh, I wouldn't didn't, fly I didn't. now. I'm not sure I've seen Rocky now. We'll get me to now. Just say no, just say no. You don't have to kiss him. You don't have to kiss him. Say no to the singing. <laughs> Please. That's that's the rocky theme there with some progressive lyrics put on by me. <laughs> twenty twenty cut. Wow. So you had seen Rocky Four? I had seen Rocky Four and Rocky Six and it was about about time I got around to the first one. You say you don't enjoy watching boxing films because it's just punch punch fall stand. But I think the fight scene at the end of Rocky is amazingly well filmed. I actually wasn't that taken with the way that they did the, uh, the fight scene. Then I'm criticising a lot because it's what I'm good at, but I did genuinely enjoy the film. I will say some good things about it later. But uh, he, he knocks down Apollo Creed in the first round, and I thought maybe that could have been second or third round. Um, at no point uh, did I ever really feel that Apollo Creed was the best and was dangerous and was a class above Rocky, other than some people said it. He never did. Mm-hmm. I, I generally would have liked more of a character from Apollo Creed. But if there'd been maybe one scene at some point where you see him training, you see he's a businessman and he's, he's a showman, but he is also the real deal. Rocky is up against it here. Um, and if in the first round he had just danced around Rocky and showboated and just been in complete control and then he gets knocked down. That would have worked better for me. It would have set it up and you would have a bit of a, 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 an action turnaround. And um, as it was, it, the, the knockdown came really quickly um, and, and took me by surprise and, and just it felt a little bit rushed in a way. Rocky 2, you get a lot more of yeah, Apollo Creed. That's more of an even split between the two, isn't it? And that's where Rocky kind of is his trainer instead. Rocky 4. Rocky 2 two. Oh, 2 is the rematch. 2 is the rematch, yeah. I should know all this stuff. I did a video game based on the Rocky movies. You, you should know all this stuff. Yeah, 2 in fact. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I should have all this down. But they do merge into each other after a while. I can imagine. 
I'm, I'm not going to say that the fight at the end wasn't well filmed. It, it was. I just it, it felt slightly short. Mm-hmm. He knocks him down, and then Creed comes back a bit in the first round, and then the second round is quite even, and then they kind of skip ahead to round seven, and then they skip ahead and they skip ahead, and it's fairly short. I think they could have told more of a story through the actual fight itself if they'd put a little bit more time mm-hmm. in. Not that I'm criticizing for them. They had a budget of just over a million dollars and I know that it, it wasn't a simple just film whatever you want situation. Stallone had the script accepted and was going to be made um, and they offered him a million dollars I'm sure I was told at one point. For Not the script. to star in it. But instead he wanted to star in the movie in which case they said well okay we don't pay you a million for the script then and he chose to basically bank on himself ironically which is in that similar to some of the story and obviously it was a it was a great hit wasn't it it did it got an oscar didn't it it right? got three it won mm. best picture director and editing mm. and it was the um highest grossing film of 1976 i mm. believe which for a relatively low budget mm. film is pretty good to keep costs down for instance to do the fight scenes they got the audience to come in for free by offering them free chicken dinners if they all came in and were the audience for the fight. I would be there. You'd do anything for chicken. Make another Rocky film and I'll be the entire audience. I'll eat a chicken dinner in each spot and you can just CGI them all together, composite shot them all. It probably wouldn't save them. In chicken. Oh, yeah. in chicken dinners. In chicken and CGI. Mm. Did you hear about the Rocky stage play that was done a few years ago? No. Um, Stallone was involved. So it was a musical version of Rocky. And then two-thirds of the way through, they lowered a full-size boxing ring down onto mm. the stage mm-hmm. and did the fight. So the actors had to do the full musical sing-along thing and also be able to, every night, do a choreographed boxing match in front of a full audience. Wow. Apparently it was, you know, it's quite a spectacle. Do you know when they did uh, Ben-Hur before the movie was made, it was actually a stage play and mm-hmm. they used to stage the chariot race on oh, stage? Oh, yes, yes. What? I had no idea. Did you know before Cats was a terrible film? It was a, it was a terrible stage play. <laughs> I did know that, yeah. Um, I should say some good things about it because I, I did like the film. I was pleasantly surprised to find it was less a film about boxing, more a film about a character. Rocky was, was likeable, a kind-hearted man, uh, looks out for other people. He, he seemed... Um, kind of superficially popular. There's a, a lot of shots of him uh, walking streets and, and people saying, hey, Rocky, uh, a lot of the time. And so he seems to know a lot of people, but he never seemed to connect to a lot of people who seemed quite lonely. Um, and uh, that made it satisfying to see him uh, develop a relationship with Adrian. He wasn't a, a simple, uh, straightforward character in as much as he's a nice guy, like, uh, say, Captain America from from the comics is. He's flawed, Um I got the impression that he, he solved all of his problems with violence and boxing was all he knew, which I quite like. There's a, a part where his, his locker has been given away in the gym he goes to and uh, not realising that it's someone else's lock on there. His combination doesn't work and his solution to that, rather than asking someone, is to pick up a fire extinguisher and smash the lock off. Uh, you, you see him shadow boxing um, at various points where he's just walking along the street and it, it seems that he, he comes across as, um, as a, a guy who... who only knows fighting um and yet he's he's quite tender and he looks out for people um he's he's kind and uh he seemed to be searching for love in a way i, I like that very much um he worked as uh, a debt collector for a loan shark 
but even went about that in a fairly nice way. He got told to break a guy's thumbs, didn't do it, just threatened to. Lovely fella. The craze, isn't it? Lovely chaps the one. <laughs> Very nice it. to their mum. Yeah. Then he nailed my head to the floor. <laughs> um, he, yeah, I, I liked Rocky. I, w- I was with him um, and I wanted to see him succeed and, and get get validation mm-hmm. rather than get the winner a prize. I just wanted to see him be proud of himself in a way. And some great supporting characters as well. Burgess Meredith as the trainer. <laughs> yes, the penguin, of course, yeah. And, um, oh yeah! <laughs> <laughs> I remember when that, when I first realised that it was a long time after I'd seen both Rocky and Batman to realise that they were the same the same person. They should get Danny DeVito to be Creed's trainer in Creed Three. Excellent idea. <laughs> uh, well, in a way, Ian McLaughlin, who of this podcast has played Mickey because he did that for our video game. Did he? Yeah, yeah we did was... the motion capture with him being Mickey. I'm pleased they didn't do the motion capture with being Rocky. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> But we also had a guy called Johnny Nelson, who's the WBO World Boxing Champion mm. at the time. He, he did all our boxing stuff for us. So when you're doing a, a licensed game, are you given free reign or are you very restricted in what you can do with the characters? It varies. On this one, we didn't have much problem with MGM in terms of how the game went. They didn't come back with lots of changes. There were some issues with how much of the uh, footage of the game we could use and how that could be presented. Footage of the film? Yes, there was a list of which actors we'd licensed the looks of and we couldn't use footage that other people were in where their face was particularly visible in case someone came and sued. You had to have a little fighting fund in case there was someone you missed. I edited together a minute and a half or so of clips from all the films to represent the whole thing, which then had to be packaged as an advert because if you do that, you then don't need to pay the actors. Uh, So it ended with like an advert for the DVD. But those were about the only complications, really. For one of the two games, we licensed uh, Eye of the Tiger, and you had to be really careful. They re-recorded it with uh, the same singer and the same guitarist, but the rest of the band had changed so that they could get all the royalties for performance of it. That's a, that happens quite a lot, doesn't it? It does, yeah. yeah, quite often. If you have one big hit you're living on, mm. what they do is they cut out the other people in the band from the performance rights, and they just get session people in to play it instead. And so basically, if you wanted to license the song, you had to use this version. And we had to be so careful because there was literally only one place we could find to tell between the two different versions. And if we'd put the wrong version in, it would cost huge amounts of money in legal fees. So we just had to be really careful which versions we had in the office to not have the wrong one. And did you get to meet Sly? I did meet Mr. T, (laughs) which was weird. It's the closest thing I've ever come to meeting a cartoon character in real life. (laughs) It's like, you know, Shaggy from Scooby-Doo or something, meeting someone like that. It's, it's very odd. I did also see Stallone playing our game, uh, which he did on a French movie <laughs> show. They sort of wheeled him in and sat him down in front of it and got him to play against the host, which was quite weird. He didn't win. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I don't know if he had an Xbox at the time. But, yeah, that, that was a really weird experience. So any final Rocky thoughts? I'm only good at talking about things I don't like. Um, the, <laughs> the main thing that kept me from, from thinking the film was great and, and left me at merely good was it was a little bit too simple and straightforward a story. It's a story about a man who gets gifted an opportunity and then works hard to do his best at it and then he does his best at it. And it, I felt it was lacking some kind of obstacles for him to overcome. Mm. Um, you, you didn't get a lot that was kind of particularly set up and then paid off later. There were a couple of little things that I thought didn't really get explained. 
for the first half of the film, he has this rubber ball that he bounces. And I actually quite liked it because it, it made him look a, a bit restless or that he's, he's kind of hoping for action of some sort and just has to do something with his hands. And the rubber ball thing doesn't really represent anything in the end. It's just a rubber ball that presumably Stallone had and was playing with and it was just on film. We've there, seen The Great Escape. Quite possibly. Uh, there were a couple of things that his trainer said to him women weaken the legs or something is essentially telling him to to stay away from adrian while he's training then that doesn't really pay off in anything you don't see rocky specifically say yeah i'm, I'm, I'm not going to go along with this or you don't see him kind of uh, go along with it because his trainers told him to and then it causes conflict with adrian which gets resolved later he just he gets told that then he just ignores it um, and there were a couple of other little things like that. And I just felt that um, you, you could have inserted a bit more to, to kind of pay off later. And it just didn't, didn't happen so much. Did you find it interesting that he doesn't win in the end? Yeah, actually, I quite, I quite like that. Um, it might have been too cliche for him to, to win. And it, mm-hmm. because the story is of such an underdog, it probably would have made less sense for him to, to win the title. But it, it doesn't matter. It wasn't a film about him winning. It was a film about him Taking control of his life, I suppose. That's the way I saw it anyway. My memory of the second one is it's very much a retread of the first one. Yeah, except that Rocky wins at the end of that one. Yeah. Just to spoil the end for you. Mm-hmm. And then by three and four, he becomes like a superhero, essentially, doesn't he? Yeah. That seems a bit odd. Something I would have liked in, in Rocky would, would have been some sort of epilogue to kind of show you how he's changed after his experience, mm-hmm. but it just ends with him and, and Adrian in the ring and fades out. It's a nice ending, but you don't really get the catharsis of, of seeing what it meant to him. Um, I thought, well, maybe I'll go see Rocky too, and that'll show me how he's kind of changed as a person and how the, the fame has, has changed him and changed his life. But if it's a bit of a retread and he's still just an underdog and he works and fights, and I'm not sure I want to watch that. It deals with him becoming famous and becoming successful as well. So it does, it does deal with those issues. Rocky Three certainly by that point, is a millionaire in a mansion. Rocky Four, he's got a robot. robot. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, who wouldn't want a robot? Rocky Five, he's got brain damage. Rocky Six, the brain damage has just got better, which is nice. If you feel tempted to experiment more with boxing films, there's a film called Grudge Match, which came out fairly recently, which features Sylvester Stallone essentially playing a Rocky character and Robert De Niro Niro playing a character who is a riff (sighs) on the character that he played on Raging Bull as these two old guys who come together for an exhibition match in Vegas. Um, So if you have any interest in boxing films whatsoever, avoid that absolute (laughs) piece of a turd of a shit of a film, which is... So embarrassing for, <laughs> oh, like watching them tr- try and put their old bodies through what is supposed to be a comedy, but I didn't laugh once. I just felt so sorry for them. And their CGI heads on stunt people's bodies. You don't want to see De Niro with his shirt off at this point in his life. When did that come out? About 10 years ago, maybe. But the gist is that they hate each other, but they obviously learn to respect each other through punching each other in the face. It's the best way. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm no longer opposed to boxing films, so I think I will check out Raging Bull at some point. Raging Bull is a beautiful film. Very, very different to Rocky in that Rocky's a nice man. And Jake LaMotta? Yes. He's not. I think that's not a spoiler to say that, is it? <laughs> no. The fight scenes in that are beautifully shot. And... Mm. um. Every fight in that is shot differently, depending on his emotional state and what's happening at the time. 
So you've got ones that are filmed like slow motion ballet almost, and then ones that are just brutal, being punched in the face in close-up. But it feels like the last of the classic run of Scorsese, De Niro films that they did like in the 70s and the 80s, and it's, it was as brutal as they could get. And it, it can't, you almost feel like that was the film that after they did that, certainly De Niro, maybe a little bit more Scorsese, took their foot off the gas. Like This took a lot out of them. It's like the ultimate Scorsese De Niro film. Maybe I should have watched that instead. <laughs> assume uh, Karate Kid was after Rocky. Yes, because yeah, it's Kid the same director. Eighty-four, I think. Yeah. Has anyone seen Cobra Kai? No, I haven't. No, the TV show. Yeah, um, one of our friends um, is obsessed with it, and this is growing up Karate Kid. Ralph Macchio, I want to say. Macchio. Ralph Macchio. Ralph Macchio. And the blonde guy who's yeah. in. Yeah, Tommy Dragon or something yeah. like that. Yeah. As growing ups, running rival dojos. But apparently it's told from the point of view of the bad guy from the films and about how Ralph Macchio ruined his life by doing the uh, flying dragon crane karate switcheroo on him at Mm. the end of the first one. That sounds like a bad idea that trades purely on nostalgia. Pretty much, yeah. So uh, so do you know if it's any good or not? The fact that it was a YouTube original perhaps suggests everything you need to know about it. It can't be cheap to get Ralph Macchio. Um, he's, I mean, he's, he's, he's busy. Well, he had to wash his car. <laughs> wax on, wax on. He got so pissed off when he found some fly spray. Having spent 20 years of his life having, having to catch them with chopsticks. It's just a spray. Fuck you, Mr. Miyagi. <laughs> How many concussion-causing punches to the head out of 10 would you rate Rocky? I'd say I'd give it seven... Easy jabs to the face because Rocky doesn't keep his bloody hands up out of ten. So uh, that brings us to the end of another exciting episode of the Nerdfest podcast. I'm so excited. I'm going to go and literally explode in the corner. I've had such a jolly good time with you lot. Uh, We're on Facebook and we're on Twitter. And if you like either of those things then send us a message on them and we will reply back to you personally each and every one of you because we love you all but until then you have been listening to Louise Taylor a man who's sitting in the dark wondering what time it is because we've been doing this podcast for so long Andy Balboa and I've been John Farley we'll see you next time Adrian